So um, I think we have a microphone, right? And if anybody has a question they want to ask, I mean, obviously about this topic would be, would be you know, appropriate. But if you just have another question and not off topic, that's okay too. Uh, but yeah, any question and then we'll get you a microphone. Don't forget the Heretic Happy Hour hotline, by the way. Do we mention that? Uh, All right. My name is Rich Procida. I hope... You don't mind if I plug my podcast, do you? Please do. Please I mean, do. if you, if well, you just edit it, it out. Yeah, if you hate me, you can edit it out. That's fine. <laughs> okay. What? Go but, for it. Knock yourself out. Yeah, I have a podcast called Bible Study for Progressives. Okay. So, I wanted to um, challenge you um, on the idea of karma because yeah. I think that's a debate that's gone on in the Bible, say between Proverbs and Job. And I don't really have a problem with the afterlife. But I wonder why we expect justice in the afterlife. I mean, why not in the here and now? This is the where we pursue justice. And if we don't get it here, maybe we're not going to get it in the afterlife. Mm. But so, so one of the things that my, my issue with karma, it's just the same thing with my problem with people who are looking for the afterlife or looking for it is that it gets people to sit on their butts now. I mean, justice, justice just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. We have to pursue it. We have to do something to, to get justice. Mm-hmm. And, and so if we think, well, we do good things, you know, and, and particularly, I mean, I, I love some of the eschatological um, Matthew 25 because it's really sending a message not about the afterlife, it's not talking about the afterlife. It's talking about right now. What are you going to do right now? Sure. If you thought that you were going to burn in hell, what would you do? Yeah. So, so I, I guess I just want to challenge you on that idea that somehow um, every karma is going to make everything all right and, and not have us sitting on our butts either waiting for the afterlife or waiting or just expecting everything to work itself out yeah. without our effort. Yeah. No, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Uh, <clears throat> actually, I was referring to it in the here and now. I wasn't. I don't really believe in an afterlife, so I wasn't like referring to it in that sense. Yeah, I, I, w- I would say I want to ask you. Maybe this is like you talked about. If you think you're going to burn in hell, then you know what would you do? Like I, to me, the gospel doesn't say that. I think what Jesus is actually saying is even, especially even in that parable, is uh, even if you are completely oblivious to what what's going on, you did what for what, and if I do what, I get what. Like, that's the reaction of the people in front of Jesus in Matthew 25. And they didn't do it. Like, they don't say, oh, if you'd have told me that if I did that, I would get rewarded, I would have totally done that. Like, he's rewarding their heart that they were the kind of people that love people. They were the kind of people that had so much love and compassion for their fellow man, they could not walk by another human being who was hungry and not feed them. They couldn't walk by a, a kid that was thirsty and not give him something to drink. They couldn't know that there's another human being in prison and not go visit them. They did those things not because, oh, oh, I don't want to burn in hell. They did those things because they, they were people who were loving. And I think, I think that's the point, that, that the point of the gospel is to transform us into people who, who are filled with love and who do loving things because lo- God, the God who is love is abiding in us. You know what I mean? And whether I, what, the afterlife, one way or the other, that's irrelevant. You know what I mean? I, I do this because this is what love does. Yeah. You know? If there's no death, there's no afterlife. Yeah, I'm saying I'm agreeing with you. There's, I'm not. I'm, but, but the, the I'm problem, saying the focus is not the afterlife. The focus the, is right now. Yeah, how, do, the, how do I live right now, regardless of what the afterlife or whether there is one or not one, what bearing it has, or what I do now has on that? Yeah, I mean, one yeah. One of the things I go to the Jesus seminar, and they're very atheistic in the sense of not believing in the afterlife or the supernatural. I disagree with that. I don't think that people believing in ghosts that is destroying the world hmm. or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that our failure to pursue justice in this life and in this world is. Mm-hmm. I would always um, want to clarify when someone talks about justice, yeah. what kind of justice are we talking about? Yeah, because yeah. that should not be a presupposed um, no. I was, um, thank you. I was assumption that. So, I mean, you could talk about retributive justice. You could talk about justice that reconciles. And if we're talking about two different things, we could be saying justice. Right. But we could be talking, we could be apples and baseballs. I mean, we could be on, you know, if we're just looking to, um, you know, in America, 
the United States of America, we have um, a criminal justice system that says it's okay <coughs> that if one person kills another person, that it's okay for the state to then kill that person. And I'd say that what does that solve except for killing another person? And that and that doesn't mean I side with <laughs> that I don't side with a victim or I don't side don't think that there should be some sort of um, thing that 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 happens to the person who does something wrong. But in the end, if we're talking about reconciliatory justice, like what they're doing in the prison systems, I think it's in Holland where like we would look at the prison system in Holland and say, Oh, these people commit crimes and they go to this cush, like really nice resort. And, and they're just getting off scot-free. Well, no, they're not coming back. So they're actually reconciling more often when the, when the goal is to reconcile people back with the community at large, like, you're actually seeing things happen rather than we're just feeding, you know, the prison industrial complex when we're just retributive. So I would always want to clarify that as well. And I also, I have a problem with karma too, because sometimes there's just unjust suffering. That's how I view the cross in that from an anthropological (laughs) standpoint, this is an unjust slaying of an innocent man. Yeah. A state, a state sponsored execution along with a lot of state sponsored executions. Unless you choose it. Unless you, but I don't think Jesus shows it. I think he chose, he, he chose to reveal the, 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 to love in spite of it. But I don't think Jesus was like, oh, I want to go die. I just think that, like, like in John 6, 6, 15, they want to make him king, which meant that we're going to make you Messiah. You're going to overthrow Rome. He's like, peace out. I'm going to the wilderness. Yeah. Like, I'm not having it. Cause I know what that means. Like, I don't think Jesus wanted to die. Yeah. I, but I think he did lay down his life and said, if the, if these are the powers and principalities, these will take yeah. my life and I give it. Yeah. But it's not his desire. His He's desire is always. But life. there's this song by Coldplay. Yeah. I think it's this Coldplay song. <laughs> Seriously, there's this song called. Is it Stars? Yeah. I don't know. Is yes. it Stars? Yes. Okay. There's a line in there that says, "Go ahead and tear me apart." I don't care. Like I love you. You know, just like I'm like, go ahead and tear me apart. Like whatever you want to do. Like he was like, I think the heart of that song is like I'm entering in, knowing full well that this is going to be costly. Like, this is going to be very detrimental to my life, but I choose it because that's kind of what love does. You know what I mean? Like, you can't help it. So I just, only reason I say that is because I really feel like Jesus chose to take on the negative karma, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I know that word is triggering, okay? But like, to take on like the wages. The wages of sin. Yeah. Yeah. To take it on, say, okay, you know what, it's coming. You got it. Y'all got it coming, and I'm taking it on for you. Yeah, it's like I'm, like, you know what I mean? Like, if you let's say you fall in love with this girl who has a lot of debt, and you want to marry her. (laughs) No, but it's like it's like, look, I'll take it. But the person, but the if you really loved her, then you will. I'll take the debt on me. I'll take it. Look, well, I'll I'll pay it off for you because I got a lot of money. Hmm? Who's but the debt owed to? That's the great question. That's the question. Okay, don't, that's don't the question. That. Let somebody else. It's not owed to God. Okay, yeah. Well, well, I just want to, your shirt says Jesus was a radical, nonviolent revolutionary. And when I'm talking about justice, I'm usually thinking of pursuing justice in in the form of nonviolent direct yes. action. Yes. Thank and, you for clarifying. Yeah, that. and I think yeah. that what we need is something like the civil rights movement mm-hmm. in the church, and that's what I'm pursuing and working. That's for. awesome. Beautiful. Yeah. So Thank somebody you. else, Doug or Dave, Dave, you have a question. Okay, um, um, Jamal hit on one of my pet peeves. Okay. Oh, dang it! A lot I mean, of dog a lot of, he lot does have. How does this always happen to me? A lot of different people, and they're all bewailing the fact that Christians are just sitting around waiting for the next life. And uh, honestly, uh, I haven't met hardly any of those people. Uh, most of these people seem to be very, very focused on this life. Uh, and that you know, you can argue about whether their priorities are straight or not, but uh, I. Find the people. The only person I ever really found out that was really hooked into that was having a whole bunch of problems and just hoping here for an escape hatch to be bailed out. Yeah. Uh, everybody else, you know, everybody's busy doing their own stuff right now, and uh, you know, anybody go and ask somebody, hey, uh, what's the biggest focus in your life right now? Uh, heaven, pie in the sky, by and by, or what's going on in your life right now? Uh, my bet is 99% and say, what's going on right now? Mm. Okay. It's, it's just a stereotype. People just throw it out there. Like, that's fine. It, it sounds kind of, uh, you know, like, uh, well, good way to, good thing to go out there and bash somebody with, but I don't think there's much truth to it. 
Hi, my name is uh, Carlos Sawyer. Carlos. From, coming from the North State. And I first want to say, I'm just so happy that the Happy Her- Heretic Happy Hour exists because you guys are a voice for a lot of us who have convictions of these things. Now, I believe that it's insanity, this idea of eternal conscious torment. And yet, in Christianity, I grew up in a fundamentalist church, and we're told God is love, and yet, also, he will torment you forever without end. This is an incongruency to me. Mm-hmm. And yes, we don't really talk about that in church. We, we're focused on things. But this stuff exists as a program, like a computer program that runs in the background. Deep in our subconscious, we say God is love. It'd be like saying Walt Disney, right? Creates beautiful art for kids and family. And then someone tells you, he also, uh, Walt Disney has some kids in the basement and he cuts them. <laughs> and being that'd be like, what? Weird. But if everyone's saying that, then this idea of Walt Disney being loving and kind mm. is its a different type of love. It's an incongruency. Yeah. And I think this is the thing that turns a lot of people into atheists. And I think a lot of people really don't want to be an atheist or they don't want to reject it all. But that's the only thing they hear yep. is that, that that is a model. Now, how do we win more people over and say, hey, you know, this is not the only thing. How, how can we do a better job of yeah. winning people to, to this side? Well, I... I- I totally agree with you that I think that is that this whole idea of eternal uh, a God who's going to roast people in hell forever and ever and ever. First of all, he, he holds, I'm held to a higher standard than God is because, because Jesus tells me and tells you guys, oh, listen, I want you guys to forgive 70 times seven to forgive all day long. Just forgive, 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 forgive. Just keep on forgiving. Love your enemies. Love them, love them, love them. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. But my enemies, oh, I'm going to roast those suckers right, forever, right? Um, so I, it's like, it's a weird thing that holds me to a higher, higher standard than the, a loving God. Um, but, um, and I agree with you. So this, this keeps a, tons of people from the, from coming to faith in Christ, right? And it, right? It's a huge barrier for people. I can't love a God like that. I can't believe a God like that. And what I do when some, when someone, I meet someone like that and they tell me that, I, I agree with them. I go, yeah, you're right. I don't believe in that God either. Because uh, I don't think that's who Jesus is, and I don't think that's the God that Jesus came to tell us about. So I just agree with them. I, no, you're right. I don't, I, don't, I don't think that God is the real God. I don't think that's the God that Jesus talked about, and that's not a God I believe in. Can, what was your name? Dave. Dave? Yeah. Thank you for that. Can we talk about his question? Because oh, I'll, yeah, I'll say, like, I grew up in the Christian Missionary Alliance. My wife and I did. And that's all, all of our, like, almost all of our sermons were on Revelation. And their interpretation of Revelation. So it was this escapist. And you're right that in the day-to-day, we're only concerned with our, our day-to-day. What are, as, even as Christians, like, what do we have to do today? What, what, um, what errands do we have? What things do we have to get done? But there is this sort of, like, in some traditions, there is this escapist mentality. And you go as far as, like, Ann Coulter, the conservative commentator, who said, literally, like, her interpretation of Genesis 1 is is God said, here's the earth, take it, rape it, it's yours. That's her interpretation of be stewards of that's Genesis 1 26 through 27. <laughs> and like you see that in dispensationalist rapture based theology. Um so that's what America's done. Yeah. And, and to a large extent. And to the church too. Right. The church is teaching something that So I think you're right them. that we are just concerned. We are just concerned with our day to day. We're concerned with how many likes we get on Facebook or Instagram, whether we're Christian or not Christian. Sure. If we got our, our groceries picked up, what school, schools our kids are going to, what our budget is at the end of them. Like we're like, it's all, but it's, but in our faith, we're focused on, but in our faith, on, we're only making Jesus sure. Jesus, come and take me home. Hurry up and come. Like, take honestly, me this right. is, this is, I can't say, well, I can't say exactly what I want to say. Given Because there are children in Like there. as a teenager, <laughs> all I was concerned about was not doing certain things that teenage boys do. You guys can all pick up what while when Jesus comes back to rapture people because if he catches me doing that, like I'm not getting raptured. So like, <laughs> like well, can I? That's can, a, yeah, yeah. Can, let me. Can I say this? I want to. I want to address what you're saying, Dave. The idea that 
because I know you're thinking I'm saying that Christians are like trying to escape, and you're saying no, they're they're focused on their day to day living, and I agree with that. I just think that the problem comes in is that the day to day living that's separated from the sacred. So, for example, like most people, and again, I'm I'm counting myself. Like this has been the challenge of of life of like learning is that the grocery store, like going to the grocery store, is a sacred thing. Like it's a very spiritual thing to go to the grocery store for me. It's like really a spiritual thing to have a conversation, to look somebody in the eye, to have a conversation with them, to to see them. Like it's all part of the kingdom. Like it's all – like the kingdom isn't later. It's not heaven. And so like because the our current reality is so divorced from heaven, then this life becomes this life. It's like, dang it, I just got to get through another day. I got to like pay the bills. I got I grew up with in a family where that's what my dad did. I mean like he just and I get it. He grew up in the third world. A lot of suffering. So like his life was all about making ends meet, making a living, getting good grades, getting a good job. Where did he grow up? He grew up in East Africa. He's from India originally, but he grew up in East Africa. So tough life. Right. But um but that's what I observed here growing up. I was like, wow, here's a man who is just so focused on um, the everyday survival. And then somehow God fits into this, like somehow God fits into it, but it was all about heaven and, uh, paradise and, uh, the afterlife. And it's like, I really don't think that's actually what Jesus came to do. I think Jesus came to redeem our every moment by moment existence. Like, can you see the beauty when you're taking a walk and look up in the sky or see the flowers or hear a song mm. or go to the grocery store or love another person? It's like, can you see God in all of that? Yeah. Can you see the divine in all of that? And I think that's when you start to see, you start to milk life. Like life, like this is all a gift. Like right now is a gift. Like we're here right now. Like we made it and like we're here and God yeah. is right here and yeah. it's like breaking in. Like yeah. this is, and this, this is, is a sacred, right here. Yeah. This is beautiful. This is a sacred moment and there are no non-sacred moments. Right. Yeah. Can right. I say something to that? As it, has anyone read Ger- Rene Girard? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Ralph. In, in, in mimetic theory, the sacred space is an altar where we sacrifice something to an angry God. And what Jamal says is that every space is sacred. Now, the gospel in a, from a Girardian uh, viewpoint, which would follow the thought of Rene Girard, is that when Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, is sacrificed, he's sacrificing the secular space out on a hill in Gagatha, not not in a temple, not on an altar, not in some supposed sacred space, but in the secular space to subvert the whole understanding that everything is a sacred space. There is no part of creation that you could put (laughs) God in some temple, in a box in a temple, and say, this is the sacred space, and only the high priest can go in there. That's right. B.S. Yeah. (laughs) BS. She's right there. BS. She's right there. <laughs> it's BS. BS. The whole the whole of creation is the sacred space, yes. and Jesus is sacrificed in the most grotesque secular space, in what we would call quote unquote secular space, mm-hmm. on a hill in outside Gothel, the camp. Outside the camp, where Rome would say, yeah. "You want to mess around with us? You're going to end up like these fools out on a on a hill mm-hmm. where everyone can see." Yeah. And yeah. that's what subverts the whole space, yeah. where we realize, no, it's actually the sacred space. Is the cosmos yeah. like? There's awesome. no such thing as the non-sacred yeah. and space. And the veil in the temple is torn, and like torn that's part completely. of saying the sacred right. is now out. It's loose it's and into the world, right. and it's not going to get put back in the box. Heaven so on we have earth. another question. Heaven on earth. Hey, how's it going? Thanks hey. for having us. Another shameless plug. I'm Scott from the Bros, Babbles, and Beer podcast. Uh, yes. What is this, man? We're getting invaded <laughs> by. Our friend Barrett was a guest on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Barrett, we had Barrett, Barrett on. Johnson. He played a, a few of his songs. He's a great guest talking yes. about his, his life and uh, what he has going forward. Um, you guys touched on a number of things, um, and I, I just clicked on something, and I lost the verse I was going to say. Um, but anyway, um, so, yeah, part of it is the mutually exclusive aspect of, of some of the things you're talking about. So just because someone is focused on or – or maybe says these things more like the afterlife doesn't mean that they can't have um, a, the the idea of living this life, sure. right? And um, the verse I, I I was looking up was I think it's in Peter where it says that um, we're we're looking forward to a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time, and I, I to me that that 
that is pointing towards something that is beyond mm -hmm. the current time reference, which is this life. Mm. So that, that salvation is looking forward um, to something future, not not in just not in, not just in this life. So I, I think it's I think it's both mm. both. Um, yes, we have something now, and. There is that salvation that's ready to be revealed because that is that is our blessed hope. There's nothing else that's referred to as our blessed hope than Jesus returning, not here, not here on earth. And also in in, in Hebrews we have um, what's described as uh, the copies. What, what the, the the tabernacle is a copy of what's in heaven. Jesus Jesus sacrificed that uh, that the that the the temple here had to be cleansed just like. The temple in heaven had to also be cleansed, so he went and cleansed that temple as well. That's in heaven. So there's there's both here on this life, but the 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 things that we have, what's been revealed to us, uh, the sacred mm -hmm. has has the, the the actual thing is in heaven. So it, what we have here on earth is a copy. So it's, so it's not one or the other. It's both. God has revealed that. that these, I mean, Jesus didn't just come to rescue us from the Roman Empire he came to rescue us from sin and death right so so if, if it's limited if, if what I, I think at least one of you is saying it's, it's limited to this life well okay what what is salvation then um, there, there's no, there's no salvation and and, and I, I believe the, the other gentleman that asked a question about justice we, we could end up being pragmatic with justice because if there's no if there's no afterlife and, and even even the Christian universalist, the self-proclaimed, um, then if if you're universalist, then then there is no actual justice, or there's no consequence. I guess I, I, I would be another way to say that. So you could end up being pragmatic in. This is what I think justice is. It's it's uh, rescuing the widow. It's it's uh, uh, defending the the innocent. Okay, well, what what does that mean? So if we if we don't have an actual um, if we don't have actual guidelines to follow to mete out that justice or to, to kind of know what justice is or even to know what love is, if we don't have those guidelines, yeah. um, which I think are, are laid out in Scripture, yeah. uh, how, how, do we, how do we live as Christians? The only guidance we have is, hey, we, Jesus did this and um, this, this is how we should live as, as an example. But even, even going to the gospel, you mentioned the gospel a few times. Sorry, I'm rambling. I'm rambling here. Yeah, oh, land the plane. Land the plane. Because you you must, you've asked like four questions that I can't wait to answer. Yeah, so. I'll, I'll just I'll finish, I'll finish with the gospel. So I'll finish with the gospel real quick. That the gospel was initiated with John the Baptist. I mean, roughly we can agree on that, I guess. And and I one of his first statements was, "Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come?" Um, so I there there is so yeah so. The gospel is just being this and this kind of ethereal uh, reconciliation. There, there, there is repentance that is always and repentance and belief and faith that's always associated with the gospel. And God's children are not everybody, but it's it's those who Jesus said that that those who obey my commandments are 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 God's children. Yeah. I, I think. So I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll leave okay. it there. So I'm going to try to really quick answer as many of those questions as I can. And it, it, all it is, I mean, the, the short version of what I'm going to end up saying really is simply just, it depends on your perspective. And if you start from a certain starting point, from a certain perspective, then you see certain things the way you just expressed them. But I, I used to look from that perspective. I now look at Scripture from a different perspective. And so now it's like taking one of those things where you're going to twist it and now suddenly you see a different image. Um, like for me, when Peter talks about, you know, in, at the last days, and you, you, you started off talking about when he talks about, and you're saying this is a future thing. Well, I would say anytime you read the phrase in the last days or in these last days or in the last time uh, in the New Testament, to me, that means the end of the age, which is the end of the Jewish age, which is AD 70, when uh, th that was the end of the Jewish age. No temple, no priesthood, no sacrifice, game over, 2,000 years, it's still like that. Uh, it's it's a done deal, and that was the end of the age back in 8070. So when Peter says, uh, at the last days, he means in a few years when this, they were looking forking forward, I believe, to that which Jesus prophesied in the Olivet Discourse. Uh, when you say, 
uh, you know, all that everything is looking forward to. What is all, what is everyone looking forward to? It's the return of Christ. I think Paul actually says something surprising. He, Paul actually says that all creation is groaning for the return of Christ. No, for the sons of God to be revealed. And where would they be revealed? Here in this life right now. Yeah, I believe all creation is waiting for Christians, people who follow Christ, for the abiding Christ to wake up in them and the resurrection life of Christ to come alive in them and for them to become people who are like Christ in this world. And that's what the world is waiting for and still waiting for, uh, unfortunately. Uh, and then the idea of justice. I mean, you say in universal, in, if universalism is true, there's no consequence. That's not true. Uh, patristic universalism, there are many kinds of universalism. Patristic universalism, I mean by this, the, the kind of universal, universal theology uh, taught by the Christian church in the first 500 years of church history was not, you die without Christ, you wake up in, in heaven, God says, good job, let's go play baseball. It's not that. It's, you die without Christ, you will suffer. You will suffer. You will endure a period of suffering, and that, and the, but the suffering has a purpose. You won't suffer just to suffer because, dang it, you're a bad person. You'll suffer because, again, uh, God is a father who punishes his children because he loves them, and it's a disciplinary, uh, redemptive kind of, uh, like I think it's, um, I forgot who said it, but one of their late church fathers said, God's fire is a wise fire. Uh, it's a fire that purifies. Wood, hay, and stubble are burned away. Right. Gold, silver, and precious stones rise up. And so, but that's a painful process. It's mm -hmm. not an ali ali oxen free. And then the last thing I would say is, uh, you asked what is the gospel, and um, and talk and talked about this wrath to come and all that stuff. Again, I think whenever the Bible talks about wrath to come, it's foreshadowing uh, the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the Jewish age. To me, the gospel is uh, repent, metanoia, think different. The kingdom of God is wide open. You can enter the kingdom right now. Start living like someone who is a citizen of the kingdom of God right now. And if you love God, uh, uh, Christ uh, and, and the Father will make their home in you. And that to me is the gospel. Sorry. Can I say a couple things? Please. Um, things. Let's see. Have you read George MacDonald, the Scottish theologian? Like he's a universalist, a, a, a biblical universalist. And if you read him, like, you know that people will be chastised. Like God is yeah. a burning fire. There will be justice. Like I read George McDonald. I'm like, holy crap. Like, like <laughs> he is intense. Like, and he's a universalist. So yeah. to separate justice and universalism is really like, just read George McDonald, read yeah. unspoken sermons. Like it will put the fear of God in you. And I, and I can appreciate that. Oh, sorry. But be, make, make, yeah, 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 yeah. Let him. Let him. Yeah. I'll make it very, yeah. very brief. And then I'll have it, a couple. Yeah, things. and I, I can appreciate that. Um, when I, when I hear the, the, the people talk about, um, well, people who, let's just say, deny eternal conscious torment, mm -hmm. I, there just seems to be the direct link with no punishment at all. And it's not like I'm, I want to promote punishment or right. anything mm -hmm. like that, right? right. Yeah. But but the idea that that there that there is a, a lake of fire, I mean, or or a, a separation, at, at right. least for a time, in the a, you know the age, right. as as something that is is perpetual in that it's going to continue until a force is acted upon it, which right. could be whenever God determines, hey, this is the end of the age, right? right? Uh, so so I I would just I mean, of course you can't read my mind, but I would just like to <laughs> I would just like to to when 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 these things are talked about in. Uh, yeah, just the distinction between, okay, well, what are we actually talking about when yeah. we talk about, okay, there's no hell or there's no eternal conscious torment. What, what does that mean in reference to, okay, what, what, is, what is actually the, the pot, like, you know, what is actually being taught in Scripture? Mm. Right. right. Not yeah. just, oh, hey, these people think this and that's, I think a, that's bogus, right? I think there's a lot of things being taught in Scripture. I think it depends on how you're coming at it. If you think Scripture is teaching the same thing about one thing, then I think that's where we're going to have different views uh, because that's the idea is that the Scripture speaks with a unified biblical voice. I don't actually think the Bible speaks about a unified thing, unifying anything. I think there's many there's different authors speaking from different time periods with different perspectives. Um, doesn't mean it's not inspired and there's not God God's perspective that kind of gets weaving, woven through. It's a conversation. But I do think here's the thing, and this is for me when it comes to in a former life. Um, well, not, I, I don't mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, a few years ago, 
correct me wow. <laughs> a few years ago because people hey, um, I I used to be a corrections officer so I worked in a as, as a prison guard four and a half years I didn't know that I was yeah. juvenile were you yeah I was dude that Holy explains shit. it all dude, that's amazing <laughs> no, that's so no but I um, <laughs> wow, that's interesting man that's yeah, interesting yeah. I didn't know that yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 it is it is yeah, about four and a half years just working. Um, and uh, man, I was a tough, that was a, like a really challenging job. Right. But one of the things that it, it showed me um, from working in there, I was young when I got the job and I was 19 when I became a corrections officer. And so like, I remember becoming convinced I was there for about four and a half years. And that experience has bolstered my belief in the ultimate goodness of humanity. Being in a prison, like working alongside of inmates, people who are just I, I I came away going, people are so good. And I saw the most horrendous things in there. Mm-hmm. And I just remember walking away going, there's such pain that people have. And um, one of the authors of The Shack, I don't know if you're familiar with The Shack or if you've watched the movie or read Mercy. the book. Okay. <laughs> Amen. I'm a fan. I'm a big fan of the book and the movie. I love it. I love it. But like one, one of the um, – one uh, in the story of the shack. Uh, well, actually, before you know, not even get into that. The, all one of the authors he says, if you could know everybody's story, like if you could see the depths of what everybody, every human being has experienced, there's nobody you wouldn't love. If you knew where they came from and the pain behind some of the most vile people, the wretched actions that people do, behind it all is pain. And I think the ultimate justice, my understanding of ultimate justice, is healing. It's when people are healed of that pain. And I think that's what my understanding of love is. That, God is love. That's the Greek understanding of salvation is sozo. And uh-huh. that it implies healing. Healing. Yes. Um, are you, are you a, a, an ect, a hermeneutics dork like I am? <laughs> I, I would like to be eventually one. Yeah. You mentioned John the Baptist who was all about the wrath of God. John, uh, Luke yep. 3, yep. 7 through 9. Like he's like second temple eschatology, the wrath of God is coming. Like when when John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus in yep. Luke, sorry, Luke twenty, they ask to ask, "Are you the one who is to come?" Like Jesus quotes, <laughs> Jesus quotes from Second uh, Kings and a couple other verses from the Old Testament that have associated wrath texts. And Jesus omits him every time. He does the same thing in Luke 4, quoting the Isaiah Jubilee passage in in, in Isaiah 61. And he he says, I've come to proclaim the good news to to Isaiah 61 too. And he drops the, and the day of vengeance of our God. And he drops it. And then he says, and the scriptures have been fulfilled in your hearing. And what do they do? Is that because Jesus come back later to murder, though? Right? And, yeah, he's going to come back later. This is the age of grace, and he's coming back. But he's like coming Mark Driscoll back. says, you, like an MMA fighter. Fight. Like George St. Pierre, he's up there, bop, bop, bop. Like, with, but with his knife or something. No, but BS. Uh, no, like the Isaiah 6, 61, too. He's like, and the day of vengeance of God, nope, not going to mention that. And what do the people do? They're gonna throw him yeah. off a cliff by the end of the by the end of throw the him off a cliff. Throw him off a cliff. because he's peaceful. <laughs> because the day of jubilee does not involve the eschatological vengeance that the Jews are awaiting for the Romans who have occupied them. And how can you deliver us unless you're gonna bring divine vengeance? That's the question posed to Jesus. Yeah, and he's like, that has nothing to do with it. And so, okay, fine, we're gonna kill you. And then from gen- from then on out, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus teaches in parables. Yep. <laughs> He's like, he lays low. So, Michelle? He's like, I'm going to tell you a story. Michelle? <laughs> He's on the down low. Michelle had a question. Hi, guys. I'm glad you guys are doing this. I think this is really beneficial. Um, I do not have a podcast. I just wanted to clarify. Oh, would you like to start one? Would you like to start way, one I, and plug I, it? If you plug. started can one, I say Michelle, it? Michelle has driven three hours to be here. That's right. Well, three that's hours. Because of traffic. It's an hour and a half. Through the fires of Mordor. Yes. Through, through the fires of Mordor. Right. <laughs> Um, I, I, I want oh, yeah, to ask moderator. one of our moderators. She's a moderator, so too. So if you're in Facebook. the Facebook group, don't mess around because she will come and get you. She'll the mama bear. I try to be nice. Yeah. <laughs> I try to be nice. Um, now, I want to ask kind of a stereotypical woman question. And I hate that, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, in the context of this conversation, Jamal, you mentioned four pillars yeah. of, of Christian belief systems, of which every one of them that you said would be a part of my tradition. Yeah. 
um, as well as you all, I understand, mm-hmm. from what you've shared. As it pertains specifically to the discussion on hell tonight, or maybe even in a broader concept of the Heretic Happy Hour in general, we're talking about coming against beliefs that are traditional, familial, religious. We're talking about changing our mind at metanoia. What has been your experience emotionally with that change? Jamal just about passed out right there. Um, But no, but I understand for myself a very emotional response. And Matt and I have had conversations uh, in the past about the emotional response of changing a belief system and how that feels. And, and, you know, Keith, you've said you come from a very Southern Baptist tradition. I mean, Jamal went to Liberty University for God's sake. So, I mean, (laughs) heresy. And I know Matt comes from a traditional conservative background as well. What has been your experience in your shift in thinking in these in these topics? Yeah. Good Lord. Who wants to take that first? Unbelievable question. <laughs> yeah. You all are researched, are? by the way. Oh, oh. Did you see how they jumped at it? I know. <laughs> <laughs> Emotionally, can I? I'll answer the question. Oh, I was, I was, I'm waiting oh, no, for good. you. You, want, okay, okay, you guys all look frozen. Like, emotion is like something you just don't process. I don't do emotion. Like, oh my God. Well, Every man for, just went, oh my God. I just, I, didn't know, I just assumed that Jamal was going to jump on that like a duck on a June bug. So I just decided to wait for him to take no, that. Like, like, uh, like emotionally, honestly, like there isn't a person. I, what it's done for me is I, it's, it's hard for me to not um, get drawn into a person's story. It's hard for me to like, um, it's just difficult for me to not like want to, want to give my whole life. Like, you know, I guess it's gotten me and honestly, it's gotten me into a lot of problems, not problems in a bad way, but honestly problems in a, in a, in a sense of like, um, you know, what keeps you up at night? What do you like, you know what I mean? Like you just, you're so invested in a person's story that and it, and like I have found myself the bat, what I've battled is okay I feel like I have a higher calling not a higher calling I don't want to say it, a broader calling it's a broader it's a calling to a broader group of people but I'm okay chucking that like I'll chuck that I would I would gladly chuck the broader calling so I can just love that one and just get drawn into that one and be all about that one and if that if I can just love and serve that one then nothing else matters and I find myself like um, that can that could actually be like I've had to be pulled away from that. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, and that's been tough. That's difficult. It's very difficult. So I I would say no. Oh, I'm actually the whole time I was talking. I was thinking you're like okay, how do I respond to this? Um, I think what it's done for me because uh, I've I've had a shift from eternal suffering and I kind of rejected that and then I kind of was like floating in between annihilationism. Uh, and universalism and kind of like, uh, I'm not sure where I am. And I, and I teased, by the way, on Facebook earlier this week that in preparing for this podcast, um, I actually shifted my view uh, a little bit. But, but, but let me go back to, your, to your, your question about the emotion part. I think what it's done for me, um, jettisoning eternal suffering and just saying, you know what, whatever it is, I'm pretty confident it's not that. I don't think, I don't think that that view really does have any strength, uh, and is not supported, I think, I think by the scripture. So now that I don't, now that I've let go of that, um, what it's done for me is given me so much peace and so much hope when I have a loved one or a family member who doesn't know Christ, who dies. Um, I have so much more hope now because I, I say to myself, God is a good God. God loves them more than I could ever possibly love them. Uh, I believe he's good. I believe he's just, and I do believe, um, that that I will see them again, you know, that there is still hope, that they're not going to be utterly, completely tortured forever or erased and disappeared and never to be heard from again. Um, so it's, yeah, it's given me that more, of, I guess, a, a piece about that, that God is, God's got them. They're his children. He loves them more than I ever could, and he's in control, um, and I don't have to worry about that. Yeah. I, I'm right there. I'm right there with you, Keith. Um, I will say that coming out of a system of belief where in which um, you're expected to believe certain things, I had a visceral response against that, which caused emotional suffering between um, 
not so much my family, but in-laws. Um, and if I could do it over again, I would have just shut the hell up for a little bit and just not asked any questions. I would have asked them rhetorically maybe and read a bunch. I would have continued to read like I did and not ask those because we, we attach ourselves to our beliefs and, and, um, if you've read my book or if you haven't, or if you read Ernest Becker, when we have certain beliefs that people come that, that our beliefs come up against other people's beliefs, we can really go into an existential crisis. And, um, I didn't know that when I, <laughs> when I first questioned yeah, beliefs. Real stuff. And so ha- had I known that I, I probably wouldn't have said so much. So I've had this, it's almost like a, like a dichotomy, like, um, existentially and emotionally for myself. Like it's been the most healing, but the questions I've asked have also been the most emotionally tormenting yeah. because yeah. I'm a pr- like I'm very introverted and like I I don't like this microphone saves me and I don't mind talking in front of you guys but and I don't mind talking in front of, like on the internet or in a book and I say a lot of really bold things but I'm also really really reserved in my personal life so it's almost like this 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 weird. Where if you if you read me, you're like, oh, this guy's bold and he's gonna ask all these questions and he's in total total a hole, you know, <laughs> like, and so like I've come across as that asking questions, and so it's almost put me in this like emotional state where um, it's very very difficult, but also the answers I've come up with about who God is, what God is like, and who God, I mean, God is like Jesus mm-hmm. has been the most healing. Where I was an I was an atheist for for a time after I deconstructed things, and then. Healing, hearing the actual gospel, not just an atonement theory, has been the most healing yeah, thing. So yeah. it's, it's, it's been this interesting ride where personally and emotionally it's been difficult. And my wife will attest to that. Like, it's been super difficult. But also spiritually, like, once you start to transcend that and you, you know, you start to forgive and, and ask for forgiveness and, and, and repent and, you know, if I could go back five years and ask the questions in a different way, I would. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might be the same questions, but I might be a little more tactful. Um, but so it's, yeah, for me, it's been this. In- so if you're like, you know, if anyone's going through deconstruction, like just um, what you can find on the other side is super, super healing. But if you can learn from my mistakes, don't be such a. Don't be such an ass. Like, I mean, some of the questions I asked were posed in such a way. Like, so it's um, it's been a wild ride. I don't know if that answers your question. Um, there are people who think outside the box, um, and just because you're questioning things doesn't mean you have to question them so vocally and yeah, so publicly. Yeah, I've I've know. I've learned that you feel safe. Um, I've learned where safety can be found outside of belief feeling of comfort, like a solid ground that you're standing on. Because you know, a lot of people, when you question their beliefs, they feel like, oh, I don't know what to believe. My solid ground is shaken. But then you realize, oh, but like, what did you believe when you were a baby and you were being held? Nothing. Because you felt safe. And that's what we're, that's what we're coming into, mm-hmm. is, that, is that. That's the ultimate reality. It's not, it's not contingent upon a belief system. It's ultimate reality. It's love. And that love is, that love has always been, that love has never left us. Our beliefs blinded us from it for a season. But once you get rid of it, it's like, what do we get rid of when we deconstruct everything? (laughs) Everything. (laughs) You get everything. Yeah. Yeah, And I think it's important to, to, uh, as you're going through that deconstruction process, I mean, this helped me to separate, I'm not my beliefs, right? Right. And, And my relationship with God is is real and true no matter what my my doctrines happen to be for the, because I, I, I our house church family over the last several years and we've just entered into this conversation and what we've realized is our little sort of one of our little mantras is everyone is in process right and we're all I hope we should be if we're growing if we're living we're growing we're changing in our and there are things I believe now I didn't believe five years ago or ten years ago and I hope that five years from now there's other things that I I've let go of and new things I've latched onto. But what doesn't change is is me and my relationship with Jesus, and that thing is what's real and doesn't change, um, even if my my beliefs or my thoughts or my attitudes or opinions may you know change over time. So anyway, you, someone had a question. Seth. Yeah, here I am. Um, 
I just want to say shouts out to you guys. It's not easy pushing the envelope. And uh, what's good, Jamal? Known you for a while. Thanks for your voice as well. I just want to say also, like you motherfuckers are some cool cats. And I, <laughs> there you go. I yeah, thank you. Somebody and I else. say that word particularly because I don't think it's been said on this podcast. Thank you, so. thank you. We can scratch that off. I just want to break some ground. Seth, can I interrupt you real quick? I want to interrupt you because yeah, it's easy. Like when oh, you're on a podcast, word. I, I I say that a lot, but yeah. not on here. Not on the podcast. When when you're when it's you're on a when your podcast is easy to kind of sometimes you know. But like you say, that's it worked. You know, it's it, you, I appreciate the kudos to us. But like uh-huh. we've had talks. Like I, I don't know that I would have come to a lot of conclusions apart from your yeah. uh, your participation in the journey with me. Mm. Yep. Uh, many you. many times talking with you and bouncing and just knowing you're there. Mm. Um, in, in as part of the process has been such an encouragement to me. So, it's, dude, thank you, know, you man. That, uh, I feel honored by that. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so my friend Jen Cole, she's not here. She couldn't make it, but she's always been like a really practical friend. I've spent a lot of time in community with her. So she's always taught me like, you got to ask like, well, what's the practical like response to what you're talking about? So you guys are talking about like, what if there is no hell, right? Like what if there is no eternal torture? Um, so how does that lived out like practically? Cause we have things in our culture right now where, you know, we have like justice system and legal system and, and, uh, there's, um, like terrorism in the world. Like what do you guys, how do you guys live that out? How do you guys approach terrorism and, and people like mass wow. destruction? We drop bombs yeah. on Syria. Yeah. Like that shit's crazy, you know? Mm-hmm. So how do you, uh, thank you. Thank you, Barrett. Um, That's all right. So how do you guys, like, reconcile that, you know, because the way you approach, I think the way we approach the Lord, the way we see our, um, the way we approach hell and whether or not he's actually going to be tormenting us for eternity or not is kind of the way we're going to practically live. I I, want to real quick try to answer that. And then, yeah, please do. Because to me, it's a great question, dude. Awesome question. But it, it, as someone who, who does believe in nonviolence, <clears throat> and I believe Jesus taught nonviolence, it's it. it I, I process, I filter that question, and it sounds to me in my ears, it sounds like this. Because because terrorism and war and those kinds of things are the fruit of a retributive justice system, <laughs> and saying. Look at what a retributive justice system has created, this horrible, horrible fruit. How come your nonviolent system didn't fix that? Well, because you have a, you're living in a system and perpetuating a system. We all live or born into a system that perpetuates the eye for an eye retributive justice model. And so the way I, would, the way I think a, a Christian, um, I, I did a blog a while back called the, Join the, the, uh, Christian, the Nonviolent Christian Task Force. Uh, because what, the way it is, is we preach the gospel. We live out the gospel. We love our enemies. We do good to those who hate us. We bless those who, you know, who curse us. Uh, by following that, the fruit of that is not a guy with a machine gun shooting people. And so, uh, once the guy is standing there with a machine gun, it's too late to ask me how the nonviolent person is going to solve the problem. That's the fruit of a retributive justice system. Uh, the way we change this is by changing the world one person at a time into people who look and act and love like Jesus. That's how we do it. And it's one person at a time. Yeah, you know, you know, just real quick, uh, as far as when, I, like, if there's no hell, in 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 the sense of the how it's, I don't say traditionally, uh, how it's been taught most more recently, um, I honestly it allows me to give people space. So, for example, when Jesus said, "Unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have no part of me," and they were like, "Well, that's weird. We're out. See you later." And they all walked away. And the disciples were like, well, "Look, what? Everyone's leaving!" Like. And he's and he like didn't stop them. He wasn't like, "Hey, come back! You misunderstood me. I'm not talking about cannibalism." He's like basically <laughs> yeah. saying, there's, "There's a spiritual essence here. I'm talking about." And he was like, "No, no, no! No one can come to me unless they're actually being drawn by love." That's what he was saying. It has to be. I have to be drawn by love. And so, if Jesus was so freaked out that these people are going to burn for all of eternity, you think he'd chase them? But he yeah. didn't. He's like, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. All things in their time. So relationally speaking, for me, it's like, hey, you know what? That's what you want to do. Go do it. It's cool. I'll give you space. Mm-hmm. You want space? Go. You have space. I'll give you space. I'll respect your space. You want to leave? I think, does Jesus want them to leave? No. He would rather them say, hey, drink my flesh. Drink my blood. Eat my flesh. I know that sounds yeah. weird, but like, hey, 
I have essence. Like think about a lover saying that. Like, what do I want? What does a lover want? Like, come like partake of like I have stuff for you. Like I have life to give you. Like that's what a lover wants. And so like that's what lo- love loves to love. I have a friend that would always say love loves love. So it's like cool, you know. So anyway, it's um but that but 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 love also doesn't force itself. So it's not yeah. love love isn't a love doesn't force itself on others. Yep. So love is like, okay, I, I I respect the fact that you are not able to be drawn into me right now. And so therefore, go. Do your thing. I'll be here. I think um oh real quick on answering your question. Like the like the, the question of terrorism and violence is probably the most difficult. Oh yeah. Um but like getting into why there's terrorism, why there's um worse and worse groups that seem to be a little more in, yeah <laughs> Ralph's trying to book. plug There's my a great book. book yeah um, what's the name of that book it's The Blood of Abel it's really what's good. it called the, the from the Blood of Abel the answer is that if we if we address violence with violence we're going to end up in a pl- in a flood mm-hmm. and the the difference between the biblical flood and the flood of you know Gilgamesh other mythologies is that the problem is violence so when Cain kills Abel, Abel is right to to ask for vengeance from the grave. Like it's an unjust killing. Like Abel should not be killed, and the natural propensity is to to cry out for vengeance. And so the unnatural, we'll put it in air quotes, is to stop it, which yep. is what the biblical argument is: yes. is that God tries to stop the unjust slain. Um, I think the practical aspect is that in our daily lives, we forgive those who, who sin against us, yep. those who are retributive against us, those who hold grudges, those who scapegoat against us. Because as Christians, as Rene Girard and James Allison, the, the Catholic theologian, point out, we are, as Christians, repentant scapegoaters. We first and foremost realize that we find our identity from scapegoating other groups. And when we become, when we enter into the um, the Eucharistic meal, when we take that, we say we're going to um, absorb the sin against us and offer forgiveness. And so Jesus, like in Luke twenty three thirty four, and it's a, it's a, um, maybe he didn't say it from the cross, but they, you know, it's one of those textual variants where they added in, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus removes action from intention, and he forgives those who are killing him. And it's super illogical and counter to human behavior. And it's so counter to if you're persecuting me and I offer forgiveness, it doesn't make sense. Because we don't see any justice in that. We don't see anything in that. But that's the way of Jesus. And so it's like, practically, like, I can't can't sit there and and forgive ISIS for what ISIS has done to me. I've never met ISIS members. Right. I've never met Al Qaeda. I've never right. met Hamas or Hezbollah. Whatever. You That's know. not your personal reality. But I've also never met George Bush and and Barack <laughs> Obama and, and, and Donald Trump. So practically, I can forgive those who hold grudges against me and gossip against me, which is plenty. <laughs> my my family my family left. My includes <laughs> includes my wife's family, and I've been guilty of saying things and acting in a certain way that's not Christ-like. But I've also been scapegoated, where I have to say, if I'm going to seriously be like Jesus, I'm not. But if I'm going to pretend like I am, like I have to forgive when I'm scapegoating against, and that means sometimes shutting my mouth. That sometimes that means doesn't mean being the victim, and you know so. In the day to day, it's like, okay, you gossiped against me, so what? I yeah. forgive you, yeah. and I and I forgive you for myself. I don't have to say it to you all the time because sometimes it's pointless. If you don't think you've done anything wrong, like say I forgive you, that's almost condescending. Right. So you almost just absorb it and be like, hey, it's it's all good, dude. Yeah. That's yeah. counterintuitive, right? <laughs> Last good. question of the night. Oh, we got one more. Yeah, I guess I've been tasked with wrapping this thing up. So uh, first off, I was surprised the heretic happy hour was BYOB. Uh, <laughs> what? I, we're heretics, but we're not well Why off. Why were you surprised? Like, <laughs> we'll just leave it right there. That meant bring um, your own Bible. Bring your own actually. Bible. That meant you bring, bring your, your own, own Bible. Bud, you know, we told you that's what it meant. Wrong B. So uh, <laughs> Ralph and I had a conversation online uh, earlier this week about uh, my nine-year-old daughter who was raised, you know, basically all of her life in a very conservative evangelical type of framework. You know, conservative where you vote Republican and evangelical where everybody else around you is going to burn in hell. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, 
in the last, yeah, let's say, year or so, we've been doing our own kind of personal de- deconstruction in the house in our family. And she just comes out and says, you know, there, there is no hell. There can't be hell. This is your daughter? My daughter. My nine-year-old daughter wow. who, who is kicking against her own goads of all the Sunday school that she's been indoctrinated in. And she's basically saying, and I, I saw Matt's daughter leave, so she's, she's saying, that, that, that's all a bunch of crazy shit. Yep. I'll put... But my, my daughter can I, actually I, handle it. I just like, wanted I wanted to donate some money to the swear jar. Right. And so, you know, it, it's just funny, Jamal. You said something like two hours ago about you know out of the mouth of babes. I don't know if it was atonement theory or eschatology or, or what it was, but you never hear the, that that kind of thinking out of children. Right. And that immediately made me think yeah. of my nine year old daughter going, "No way, there's a hell. Mm-hmm. God loves." And that's just there's no way, and to see it through her eyes. And to think of Jesus talking about, come to me like children. You know, I just wanted to, I guess mm. I had to set that that's up great. for you so we can tie a bow on this whole hell podcast thing. Yeah. Right. I think that's beautiful. And, beautiful. Yeah. And so but, if she, if yeah. my nine-year-old daughter has any questions, how could she like call you guys or text things in? <laughs> if only we had a heretic hotline or if something. Only. I mean, my, uh, my daughter has said the same stuff. Like my daughter literally said, and, and I, I don't, we don't like read the Bible together. Like, we, we don't do all that. But she was like, when she was five, she was like, um, no, the Wicked Witch from from Wizard of Oz, she comes back as a nice person. And I was like, holy, you just, like, you just, you just summed up two books that I wrote in one sentence. Like, wow. <laughs> damn it. You know, but, but that's like, the, the idea that Maleficent, like, she was into Disney until this year. We took her to Disneyland and she's like, mm. <laughs> Shit, mm. it's too expensive for uh. like Maleficent, the evil queen. Like they don't. There's no way, like in her mind, that they would deserve any of that. Like in her mind, they're just like bad right now. Like they'll be they'll be cool later, but they're just jerks right now. So it's like like there's no way a six, seven, eight, nine, ten year old could ever come up with any of the shit that we say. Like yeah. like come on now. Like yeah, and I was I wanted to say the um. The um, one one of the metaphors in the New Testament, and Jesus uses it a lot. That one of the metaphors for sin is sickness, right? I did not come for those who are well, but for those who are sick, right? A physician, the need of uh, those who are sick need a physician. Um, and then there's even Old Testament scriptures that talk about that's even where that whole thing comes from. By His stripes we are healed. It's talking about all, He heals all of our infirmities and our diseases. Well, if you go and read the, the original passage in the Old Testament, it's a metaphor that that those diseases are metaphors for our sin nature. And what do you do when your child is sick? Do you beat it out of them? Do you beat them until that sickness is gone? Do you punish them until they stop being sick, or do you heal them? Amen. Yeah. And with that, I think we're going to move on to Barrett. Barrett's going to do some songs for us. Yeah, wrap us up. Thank you guys for coming. God bless you guys. Yeah, thank you.
I'm gonna sing, 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 singing hallelujah, singing hallelujah with my song my lungs. I'm gonna sing. Hallelujah, well in my day of dying.